You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your respite from the ridiculous here at the conservative conscience with Daniel Hurwitz. Back in the saddle Wednesday, October 17th, powered by Westwood One Network on Conservative Review. Conservativereview.com is your one-stop website. CRTV is your network. And we got a lot of talent, a lot of information here, a lot of issues, a guide to the perplexed. And if there ever was a time when we needed a guide, it is today. There is just no understanding of what it means to be a conservative, what it means to follow and implement the Constitution as it applies to our current fiscal, social, security challenges, international relations, health care, sovereignty, you name it. Heck, it's so bad, we don't even know how to stop an invasion anymore. It's not even about conservatism anymore. We don't even know how to stop an invasion. Well, Daniel, what do we do? Uh, don't we have to let them in? Uh, won't a district judge say Trump has to let them in? This caravan of 1,600 invaders, as well as the tens of thousands of others invading that don't do it through a caravan that we don't hear about? <clears throat> We're going to talk about that today. Um no, you know, the president actually could stop an invasion unilaterally, and he doesn't need Congress for that as much as I'm an Article One type of person. Believe it or not, we could actually stop an invasion. We actually have the lawful authority, and the president has that lawful authority. So we're going to get to that a little later on. But, you know, in this era of tribalism where everyone's just about a soap opera for their side about the players and the personalities and the comments, with a complete disregard for what our agenda is, this is going to be your city of refuge, your sanctuary city from the fallout in in all crazy circles, uh, where we actually give you specific solutions, address specific problems, not just this phony virtue signaling from Ben Sass, who's on a book tour, but is a sitting United States senator and will not give any leadership on a single issue, will not attack will not attack Trump from the right, but only from the left. You know, I wasn't planning on starting off with this, but I wanted to address the Ben Sass stuff for a moment. Um, In case some of you have not seen it, just to recap, Ben Sass is on an 18-month book tour promoting his book on how conservatives lost their way and Trump's Trump and conservative media is destroying everything. Now, some of the things he says very broadly might sound like they overlap with some of the things you hear here, <laughs> but they're for very different reasons and often often diametrically opposed reasons where he'll attack them from the left, will we'll attack them from the right, so to speak. It's more just – it's more coherent, um, and he's just about virtue signaling. In other words – He's nowhere to be seen. There's a lot of things. If you want to attack Trump, there's a lot of things you could attack him on from a principled conservative perspective. Now, my goal is not to attack Trump or to kiss up to him. It's just to speak the truth. It's to say that he's open to our point of view more often than other Republicans are and certainly Democrats. And if we had a movement, we could actually right the ship, reinforce him where he's good get him to connect on where he is intuitively good, but then kind of misses the boat and steers him back where he's wrong. That's my goal. Always has been my goal. Whereas with a guy like Sass, he just wants to attack the president as an end to, end, as an end to itself. But then the problem is that even when he has an opportunity to attack him when he's being liberal on pre-existing conditions, which we're going to get to on – um Sometimes on immigration, where he's good, but then he goes back on it, on budgets, on ethanol. Sass is quiet, or he's downright agrees with Trump for the wrong for for the liberal side. He only perks up to virtue signal. Whatever the liberal media cares about, 
and they're fighting Trump on. So our side's all going to be about fighting the liberal media, not dealing with the policy. So Sass will just do the opposite, and he'll just take the liberal media aside and trash Trump. It's the same tribalism, just in reverse. Doesn't make it right. He just wants to show, look, I'm intellectually honest. I'm willing to call out my side. But he does it in all the wrong ways. Name me one issue he's led on. So anyway, why am I saying this? Because, you know, his book came out, so he attacked Sean Hannity in the book. And Mark Levin went on Twitter, and he said that, you know, Ben Sass, people think he's one thing, but in reality, you know, he was lobbying me hard. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here from what Levin put out on, on Twitter. He lobbied me. He said, like, you know, what's the problem with the Iran deal? We should support the Iran deal. And, you know, the backers of Sass are like, well, what do you mean? He voted against the Iran deal, and he said he, like, put out a press release against it. <laughs> As if Republicans never do that. Say one thing privately, like we're seeing on Obamacare, emphatically, vivaciously, with a tremendous amount of alacrity supporting the core elements of Obamacare. They all voted against it dozens of times, put out press releases, said it's the worst thing in the world, the famous Boehner speech. You know, it's a fraud. Now, to be clear, I never spoke with Mark about this personally, so I was seeing it for the first time, like everyone else, when he put this out on Twitter. I haven't communicated with him. He's been uh, his parents are very sick, and he's kind of been out a lot. So um, I haven't spoken to him in a while. I'm obviously, as you know, I'm, I, I I'm close with him, but I'm always my own man. I certainly do have you know concerns about Sean Hannity for for other reasons. That sometimes he gets a little bit too distracted and, and is just, just too close with Trump. The other way, you know, it's kind of a binary thing. You know, Sass is making a living out of trashing Trump. You know, Hannity is just obsessively up his rear end and just ignoring some of the policy betrayals that we need to focus on, some of the substantive issues, which is why I stepped away a little bit from him. I know he considered me a friend, and, you know, I hope one day we could, we could all be on the same side. But, you know, I'm not going to reflexively defend Hannity. You know, you guys know that already. But nobody is denying what Levin said. I mean, if Sass comes out and vehemently denies it, says, I never talked to him about it, there's no such thing. I mean, we could revisit that, but he's not denying that. So I would tend to believe it because it's right up his alley. See, Sass is right about some of the chemotherapy of Trump and some of the gratuitous, distracting comments, horse face, whatever that he makes, and some of the baggage he brings with him, like the Stormy Daniels itself. Look, I would have rather had a president with some of Trump's views and willingness to think outside the box without you know, playing around with hookers. And I'm certainly never going to defend that as morally defensible in and of itself. But that's not where... Sass is coming from, and I would argue that we only have it because of people like Sass that have no vision. The left is – meaning this is definitely true. Putting policy aside, the fact that Republicans are actually always scoring points for Democrats on the most important issues of our lifetime as we're going to get to in a minute before we get to immigration and get back to health care. But – Putting that aside, just on the on the on the style, not the substance, but the politicking, you do have to admit that no matter how conciliatory you are, the left is insane and violent, and they'll tear your heart out. So, Sass is not offering a solution to that. What has he done to work with them in a way that's going to cool their insanity? You have to recognize what people see in Trump, rightfully so, in some cases. Now, I wish you wouldn't have some of the extra stuff coming along with it that I don't think we need, and I think sometimes does harm the cause and harm his broader message, our broader message. But to the extent you have the chemotherapy, the the bad with the good, the losing the hair with the killing the cancer cells, well, buddy, we got stage four cancer here in our political system. What the hell is your syst- is your plan to get at those cells, to go and retard the growth of, of what the left is doing? Now, you could argue that what the Trump movement and Trump himself is doing is not helping on a lot of things, and in fact, he's agreeing to the swamp. 
But Sass is not making that case, and in fact, he's voting along with that stuff. He voted for the minibus. He voted for the budget betrayal. He's whoring for ethanol. I criticize Trump on ethanol. Trump, uh, Sass was silent. That's a free market issue. I thought he was a free market conservative. No, because Sass ironically agrees with Trump in the wrong way on the wrong issue. Sass is exactly wrong. It's like if Trump will do a liberal policy, you won't hear from him. But if Trump says horse face, you know you're going to get a quote out of him. So I totally could believe that he quietly you know, was like, yeah, what's wrong with Iran deal? Speaking of Iran, you know, I'll, I'll give this over through the prism of Ben Sass, but it's really everyone else. So what are Republicans doing now? What do we have a Republican Party for? They're supporting DACA amnesty. They're supporting jailbreak. They're every single Republican, as we're going to talk about, is running ads passionately supporting the core elements of the Obamacare regulations that literally are inseparable from the rising premiums and the destruction of healthcare in America. What else are they doing? What is the national priority? Almost every Republican, and it's ironic, you have Rand Paul and Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham all on the same side here. Somewhat different reasons, but I would argue are all wrong here in this case. As we spoke about on Foreign Policy Friday with Jordan Schachtel last Friday, pimping for Turkey, Qatar, and the Muslim Brotherhood against MBS, the leader of Saudi Arabia. Ben Sass was among them virtue signaling, we need to stop aiding, giving arms to Saudi Arabia. Now, you guys know my view on this. My view is more nuanced and, and very targeted than almost anyone else's view. It doesn't mean I'm pro-Saudi Arabia. I'm pro-America first. I don't think we need to give them arms, and I actually wrote a passionate article um, promoting Rand Paul's resolution in May and June of 2017. Now, that was before the conversion of the government in Saudi Arabia was so clear to me. So, you know, I'm not as confident about my callback as I was back then, but I could argue that, look, at the end of the day, Saudi Arabia still is very tenuous. We don't know if MBS will fall, although some would argue, well, Daniel, the more you know you back them with arms, the more you're going to back MBS so he won't fall. But you never know, and we don't want to keep – like it, I, I don't think we need to keep arming dumpster fires, even you know where the government finally is good and works with us. But my point is – what America first means is rather than being a schlepper for each side of an Islamic civil war, having our neck caught between the snakes and scorpions, is to use all sides against each other for our purposes. So the Saudis, they're not fighting the Muslim Brotherhood, Turkey, and Qatar, and Iran because we're giving them weapons. They're fighting them because they fear for their own survival now. The whole dynamic and government and everything in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia has changed. It's like comparing pre-World War II and post-World War II Japan government. Well, it's a different world. It's like fighting Germany against the Soviet Union in 1948. Qatar, Turkey, and the Muslim Brotherhood, and certainly Iran, are yesteryear Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is actually fighting them. And my point is they're, they're doing it for free. I don't – it's a false choice. I don't need us to give them so much robust backing, but don't try to overthrow him and undermine him when he's beating up the Muslim bros. Now, I don't know what happened to this, this uh, dude. Okay? The bottom line is all the information we're getting that this Muslim Brotherhood so-called journalist – was chopped to bits and pieces while music was playing in the Saudi embassy in Turkey, is all coming from Turkish intelligence, who, by the way, do the same thing. They lock up journalists, they butcher people, and they hate America, and they fund subversion on our soil and Muslim Brotherhood mosques, and they're a much bigger threat than Saudi Arabia is to us in this day and age, given the nature of the governments. Again, 15, I mean, 20, 25 years ago, Turkish government was an ally, Saudi Arabia was an enemy. I mean, it changes, and you got to... 
you know, get with that. And what these sensationalists are are um, capitalizing on is that to the average, and I don't mean to say this condescendingly, but your average American, average voter, both conservative and liberal, this is not really a partisan issue in that respect, they're not really up on this stuff. On you know, They couldn't tell you like, you know, that Argentina and Brazil had terrible governments that were enemies, and now they've just elected really good allies. Um, you know, the leader of Guatemala, Jimmy uh, Morales, is uh, is considered like the Guatemalan Trump. You know, people aren't up on that. I mean, I'm not. You know, it's just very few people follow that type of stuff. So, you know, but the media is playing off of yesteryear's longstanding perception and fear and hatred of the Saudis at a time when, ironically, darn it, that Siri again. I hate this. I always have my phone charging, and then just all of a sudden it just pipes up. So annoying. Um, You know, ironically, Turkey and Qatar are what the American people perceive and have perceived in Saudi Arabia. But just because of the longstanding hype and the just understanding of the relationships, if you tell people the Saudis, it conjures up like this evil, like cutthroat stuff uh, for oil. Whereas, you know, you say the Turks, the Qataris, it just doesn't, you know, have that same ring to it. But that's the reality. So why am I telling you all this? First of all, it's important to know this in and of itself that all Republicans – this is what we have, a Republican party. We have Saudi Arabia. I mean who could have dreamt 15 years ago the Saudis would be such an ally that they would freaking beat the hell out of our enemies for us without for free and we sit and, sit and undermine them. But Ben Sass is perfectly screwed up. When Rand Paul – a year and a half ago, the proper time to deal with this, he had a resolution of disapproval for the Saudi arms deal, which I supported him because I felt we don't need to be doing that. That whatever utility we're going to get out of MBS, we're going to get anyway, and he needs to do it. We get it for free. Why give them weapons? I don't want to give – I don't I don't know. It doesn't mean I love him just because I hate who they're fighting, and we're going to get it anyway. Some might quibble with me on that point. I know I have some friends that are like, no, he's like sissy. It's an ally. We need to really back him, and it's it, they're, they're, it's it's worth worth investment. But that that's how I felt. But the point is, Ben Sass voted against Rand Paul's thing. Now that MBS, you know, a year and a half later, has been working with us, and he's fighting the Muslim Brotherhood. You literally side with Qatar and Turkey, and push to overthrow it. Really, Ben? Just because Trump is. Trump is a terrible person. He doesn't care that a man was cut to bits and pieces. And it's like, again, we, we don't know what happened, but let's assume that happened. Let me tell you something. There's another issue here no one's asking. How the hell did this guy get a green card in 2017? Well, I know you'll say, well, the Washington Post brought him in, and the Washington Post has a lot of power, and they certainly guaranteed that. I could be wrong, but I think the green card was in 2017, which would mean that was under the Trump administration. I'm trying to find that out. I don't know if I will. I don't know if anyone in government will talk to me or have anything for me, but I am trying to find that out. How did he get a green card? Why am I asking this? This guy wasn't just some run-of-the-mill left-wing Arab agitator, pro-Muslim brotherhood, so-called journalist. This guy was something much bigger than that. Okay, this is a guy. There's pictures of him on the ground with with, with um, Azam, co-founder of um, Al Qaeda, Bin Laden, and in other times is Al Zahiri, who's now the the official leader of Al Qaeda. Let me tell you something. If you're just a, mu- a run-of-the-mill loser shill for Islamists in the press, in the Arab press, you don't get access to them. I mean, you know, under the Obama administration, there were people that couldn't get security clearances because they visited Israel or had grandkids living in Israel at some point. There was a famous guy, this dentist, who it might have been he had a kids that moved to Israel or something, 
and he was going to do free work for the Navy. He just wanted to just appreciate the troops and whatever, and, and they wouldn't let him do it because <laughs> of secu- security concerns. You have a guy who, from Saudi Arabia who had that much access to bin Laden, and he just gets a green card? I mean, this is a whole nother problem that when I talk about how we bring in 150,000 Muslims on green cards and another 150,000 on student visas and any number of other thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands on other visas a year, it's not just that you know a lot of them are Sharia adherent and culturally are going to cause problems and eventually cause terrorism like Europe, but just like, I mean, just straight up the ones with direct red flags. I mean, are, are you confident that None of them are slipping through. Uh, I, I I don't think so. Not by not by a long shot. And that and that's the broader point. So we're continuing the King Abdullah scholarship from the previous Saudi Arabian regime, letting in fifty to sixty thousand Saudis, but then we're pissing on the regime. Now, when I say we, I mean the Congress and the media. Trump isn't, but you know they're shaming Trump into doing it. Ah, uh, you have business dealings with them. That's not what it is. It's straight up. They're they're fighting our enemies. The the government has changed. It's not the same Clinton and Bush being in bed with the other branches of the House of Saud when they controlled the government um, for oil. That was more insidious because they were terrorists. This guy's fighting the terrorists. You know, you're not going to get better there. You're not going to get better than that, realistically. So... But then we're letting in the people. See, a lot of these countries, the government's not the problem. The government recognizes the problem. They're scared of the, their own people. The people's the problem. I mean, it's no different than Egypt. Sisi is a good guy. But my fear is that a good number of the tremendous amount of immigrants we take from Egypt aren't in the mold of Sisi. They're in the mold of the Muslim Brotherhood that he's actually persecuting there in a good way. And the media and Congress complain about that. So I didn't mean to go so long on that, but that's the point. Ben Sass just waits for um, – he's literally a lapdog for the media. Just like I criticize the people he's criticizing, conservative media, being a lapdog just combating the media as an end to itself, even when ironically they're all standing up for liberals and liberal policies and being distracted too often. But he has the opposite problem. Everything's about balance. If you have an agenda and you have proper principles, a lot of this is really not hard. It's not difficult. So anyway, enough with Ben Sass. But to tie into one of these things, one of the biggest issues for which I expected him to be a voice for, and he used to talk about this before he was in the Senate, is healthcare. Give a vision not just about Obamacare, but what healthcare should look like. I really thank all of you emailing me. My email, by the way, dhorowitz at crtv.com. Um, I know you enjoyed Monday's show, last show, um, on just a full breakdown of healthcare, how we got here, who created pre-existing condition problems, who created all the dumpster fires. And I wanted to just continue that a little bit today. Ben Sass has been missing in action. Where are his ideas? Nothing pains me more than what I'm about to tell you. I've heard, and you don't need to hear this because you see it in all the ads, notice that every Republican, every single one, every single one, everyone that we want to win, that we're cheering for, this is the ultimate outcome of November 6th. They're running ads embracing, I will not get rid of pre-existing conditions. Now, I know you could say, well, Daniel, that could mean what you're saying, that you know we're going to get rid of Obamacare and get rid of all the stuff that caused it. No, no, no. They don't mean they're going to get rid of the $270 billion employer mandi- uh, tax exclusion that tethered insurance to healthcare and insurance to your place of work and really created a lot of the portability problems in the first – no, no, no. <laughs> they don't mean what I'm talking about. They mean they're going to keep guaranteed issue, community rating, and the other – regulations of Obamacare that serve as the core. And by the way, they're going to keep the subsidies too because it's part of it and Medicaid expansion. Okay, so 
it pained me to see Ted Cruz had a debate with Beta Beto O'Rourke last night. And, you know, until the very end, he was awesome. He was, you know, you listen to him and then you listen to Martha McSally and these other losers and you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, this is what they all need to be like. And he, he was at the top of his element. And even then, in his closing statement, he talks about defending pre-existing conditions. Now, I want to get to, I, I want to address Ted Cruz personally in, in, in a moment. But holding the thought on Ted, I just want you to take into account just how deep this issue is running now. That they saw polling, that Republicans committed such malpractice on Obamacare that they got the worst of both worlds. They gave the perception they were going to repeal it, but they didn't repeal it. So the premiums are sky high. So you own the vices of Obamacare. But then, you know, again, what did Obamacare do? It created entitlement for people on, on subsidies. It for the few chronically ill that weren't getting subsidized or didn't have an avenue, and there really weren't that many, and that's a big lie. Um, and then, of course, why they were in that predicament in the first place is a big lie. Um, but, you know, so they benefited. And then, but then everyone else got hurt. Doctors got hurt. Um, I mean, the monopolies created and the premiums. Republicans stopped talking about it. Not a single head on that. And this is the lesson in every policy debate, in any debate in life. There's two sides to a story. There's your your stronger points and your weaker points, and and the other guy's stronger points and vul- vulnerabilities. And what you do is you exploit the vulnerabilities and you ignore the strong. You know what I mean? That's what you do. Republicans take the argument where the Democrats take them. They want to focus on one imperfection in a vacuum that, ironically, they're responsible for creating. Now we should say that they should run on what I ran on. What I, what I didn't run on, I'm not running for office, but what I spoke about on Monday. But moreover, don't talk about that. Run ads on all the people you can find. I still get emails from people, their own stories, $25,000, $30,000 premiums they can't afford, businesses shut down, doctors that retired because of it. And then, of course, the monopolies that of the acquisitions and mergers that we spoke about, and there's so much more to say. The Republicans refuse to run ads on. So yeah, it's going to become self-fulfilling that the polling, meaning not only did they lie to us and not repeal Obamacare, they adopted it. So when you hear, oh, they didn't have the votes, vote, vote Republican because we don't have enough votes. See, I hear this is the problem with so many Republican voters that don't get the perfidy. So they think in their own mind they can't understand how – come on, Daniel. Don't tell me Republicans really support Obama. No, they, they, they don't. So in their mind, they create a football team that doesn't exist, and they cheer for it. Oh, we need five more Republican senators to get around Collins and Murkowski and McCain, whatever. And, and then we could repeal it. And like, dude, you don't understand. They all support it now, every one of them. Maybe except for Mike Lee. And um, this is what they're supporting. Ironically, they're running on it. They're running on it. Here's what I heard from the grapevine. The entire GOP conference is totally in the tank for the pre-existing condition requirement. Literally, a congressman on a conference call just said that we need to run ads showing how Dems voted against our bill, which would have required coverage for pre-existing conditions. I guess owning the libs means owning their policies. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I can't ignore this. I I would love to cheer on the elections. And like I said, you want to vote for all these guys running on Obamacare, say that at the end of the day, the Democrat will be worse. I'm not going to have that debate. I I don't even think that's such an important debate. Vote for them if you want. The bigger debate is what next. Let's say you succeed and they hold the House, which I think is increasingly a possibility – Although I still think it's very unlikely. I still see the over-under on about Democrats 
winning 28 to 30 seats. They need 23 to pick it up. It would be a narrow majority. Um, with that said, there's dozens of races that are so close. So, I mean, who knows what could happen at this point? Very complicated to game out. Just that, just because there's so many more Republican vulner- vulnerable seats, and because they're outspending Republicans three to one, two to one, even incumbents, so many races, you've got to believe they have the edge. This is just pure horse race talk, not ideology. I'm just, that's kind of where I see it now. Um, basically, I see it that I, I think Democrats have 15 pickups in the bag, and then Republicans have three. There's three Democrat seats that I think they're going to pick up one in Pennsylvania, two in Minnesota. There is a third in Minnesota they have a possibility, but you know, I, I don't think that's in the bag. So 15 minus three on net. Dems have 12. They need 11 more. There's 28 more toss-ups. And then there's like 23 more lean Republican, you know, the next level over that, you know, many, there's been many polls that have Democrats either up or tied in some of those races too. So, you know, Republicans would really have to run the table. I mean, Democrats kind of like Democrats having first and goal and maybe the eight yard line or so you, you could block it and it happens but you'd rather be the other team. So that's just, if FYI, if you're interested in my two cents, that's where I see it by looking at the individual house races and the states and the dynamics. Um, so that is that. But anyway, let's say we get that. And that would be a very significant accomplishment. I mean, typically... Almost every midterm election you lose. And the average, I think, is like 25 to 30 seats. So that would be enough to lose the House. Um, You could argue they've thrown everything they can at Trump, that Trump has said everything that could get him in trouble. They've they've tried everything. They outspent Republicans just enormously. Um, The figures I have here from National Journal, 92 Republican incumbents not open seats, were outraised by a challenger in the third quarter of 2018. Um, And that top line doesn't even fully capture the scope. More than 50 of those members were outraised two to one, and 31 were outraised three to one. And by the way, the more, the conservative ones are the ones that are more outraised, which is why we need to focus on them, not the more establishment ones. But you know, that would be a pretty big accomplishment. And then, you know, let's say they pick up three, let's say four seats for argument's sake. Let's say five seats in the Senate. And that would put them at 56. Let's let's just argument's sake, okay? And you're going to have conservatives like, I mean, the conservative media, it would be euphoria. It would be like, I mean, literally, they'd be high on dope, um, get drunk, both literally and figuratively, um, we own the libs, we own the libs. Okay, when the hangover wears off the next morning, okay, you know what? Let's give them the rest of that week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to celebrate. Come back to work next Monday, November, second week of November, third week of November. Then what? Then what? That is my question and my challenge to all of you and my colleagues in this business. You have to recognize we have a Republican Party, including those that freshly won, all running on not just begrudgingly keeping, but extolling the virtues of Obamacare and the philosophy behind it, and the imperative of keeping it. Nothing matters on economics, fiscal policy, debt spending, if that's, if that's your belief. We're done. Economic issues, done. Spending was already done. You know that. Immigration, what percentage support our values in immigration? You know, I have an article out on the polling data. It's unbelievable. The public wants a reduction even in legal immigration, much, much less illegal immigration, the drugs and the gangs and the criminal aliens and sanctuary cities. Tell me what happens. Trump will not veto. Now, I think he might if we have a movement backing him and pushing him, but I'm, I'm a, 
they're, they're not going to do this, and that's my point. I mean, I'm kind of answering my own question. That is what should happen next. But my point is, this is not just like, oh, Daniel, shut up. Don't rain on our parade. All I want, we got to win the election. I don't want to hear about this stuff. I could respect that sentiment if we're just on dope for a month before the election. It's been this way for the entirety of the two years. We've done nothing for all these betrayals on every single policy issue from Congress. And if you want to say Trump is good in his own right, and it's Congress's fault, fine. But Congress is certainly schlepping Trump into the swamp. He is signing their stuff. Without a budget fight and without Trump's veto, McConnell will not relent on any reforms to the filibuster. So 56 seats will not matter. And, and there's certainly no you know, inkling you could say, well, red state Democrats, because they won't exist. By ver- meaning the only roadmap to p- having a pickup of three, four, or five seats is picking off all the red state Democrats. So then, obviously, all the ones left are certainly not going to have any uh, pressure to join you. Not that any of the red state ones actually ever did anyway. So there's that issue. So you have a... You know, no matter what, it would be a razor-thin House majority. But let's say it's operational. Let's say you don't have MS-13 Republicans giving us problems. They will. They will, by the way. And that will be the next distraction. Well, we need a bigger majority because just like you have Susan Collins in the Senate, well, now we only have a three-seat majority in the House. And, well, yeah. So 2020 all the way. But it's not just Congress. It's going to be endless. We own the libs. We won. We won. But what did you win? You you recovered possession of the ball. But now throw the ball. Make the plays. There's an election every day. You could elect as a movement, as activists, to get on their case and recruit primary challengers while simultaneously using conservative media to focus on the policy issues at hand. The leverage points, the legislation. And you could use your activism to pressure them. But we don't do it. None of the people with megaphones are going to do it. It's all going to be about somehow getting involved in the Democrats' own primary, as if we're so interested in it. And meanwhile, what are they going to do? They told us what they're going to do. DACA, jailbreak. And any another number of stupid things. And shaving pre-existing conditions. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? Like I said before, there is utility to voting Republican as opposed to Democrat in the sense that theoretically they can be pressured into listening to us, whereas Democrats can never be pressured into listening to us if you pressure them, if you do it. So vote for them with the intention of pressuring them. But if you vote for them with the intention of not giving a darn the day after the election's over and just gloating and then getting involved in, oh, well, now Trump has to win in 2020, when does this ever end? What's the point? So we can do what? That's my challenge to you. It shocks me how even conservatives that are active in this business don't get it. They don't understand the betrayals. You know, I had one person say to me on Twitter, I, I don't know who he is, uh, He's just, but it had in his profile something like he was a, a delegate for Ted Cruz. So that tells me, you know, he's not just your run-of-the-mill guy, he, that he obviously knows politics a little bit. He said to me, Daniel, you know, why don't, why don't you qualify your statements? Why do you overly generalize like Republicans are completely worthless? There, there's some good ones. And he went on to name some like Ted Cruz, okay. But then he named Chuck Grassley. Like, that scares me that even someone like that doesn't recognize what he's doing. I can't unsee and unhear what I see and hear about him. It's bad. They get on these conference calls and they believe the other side's positions. It's a joke. I don't understand how this isn't the biggest story around. The Republicans have officially adopted, after running three election cycles uh, against Obamacare, they are running – it's not just like they're ignoring it. They're running ads, extolling the virtues. They're top ads. They're all doing it now. 
in unison. Now, I just want to get back to Ted Cruz for a minute. I'm not defending him here. But I've said this before with Ted. Every time he sells us out, I look to other people. I'm like, man, at the end of the day, he's still head and shoulders above everyone else. What does that say about the rest of the Republican Party? But I just want to tell you something. And I've heard this from a lot of people running for office. And this is why we are running a fool's errand and we're building activism on a putty of quicksand unless we change gears either pursuing a new party, halfway pursuing another party, which I talked about having the Freedom Caucus break off, secede officially, run on the Republican Party ballot for access, but basically operate separately with the activism, policy, communications, fundraising, everything. I've talked about all this before. Wholesale reform of primaries to state conventions, or at least trying harder within the current system to recruit a critical mass of Republican primary challengers. I'm skeptical that we could do it, but at least try. No one's even trying. If you don't do that, we're just waiting for a hero just to emerge from the current dumpster fire dynamic of the GOP that's going to lead us. We're always looking for a hero. And what, what I've warned you before is no such person exists and no such person can exist. Could I say I'm going to sit, I'm going to walk into a porta potty, a spot a pot, and I will not smell. I will smell nice. People will be attracted to me. They will come over. They will want to be with me. Well, uh, dude, you, you know, no, you, you smell horrendous. Now, you could say, really, I smelled beautifully and I could smell great if I weren't in the porta potty, but you're in it. So you smell. It takes a village. It takes a movement. You can't be one or two isolated guys in a party that fundamentally is nuking your messaging. Meaning, Cruz understands everything I said on healthcare. We, we know that. But I, I question whether, my, if I were to run for office, if I, you can't reinvent the wheel in the eleventh hour when they haven't been educating people on this case of healthcare. It creates a self-fulfilling reality. If the entire Republican Party accepts the premise of the left, ignores their weak points, doesn't hit them on the 10 things we could hit them, and then is defensive and agreeable on the things they hit us on, and then they focus on that, well, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you better deal with pre-existing. Yeah, yeah, you better do it. I mean, the polling will reflect that. It doesn't have to be that way. It's the same thing that if you take the immigration debate and you don't focus on the criminals and the gangs and the drugs and the fleecing of America and the cost of our communities and hospitals and education. And instead you're like, man, we're separating families. Man, uh, you know, DACA with the, uh, the, the kid that served in the military and was a Navy SEAL and killed 10 Taliban. I don't want to deport him. I mean, if you, if you echo their arguments and, you, and then you pull it and you make an issue of it and you, know, and you isolate that issue in a vacuum, well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, do you support the Saudis cutting people to bits and pieces? But, I mean, you fight back. You have your own narrative. And that was the lesson of the Kavanaugh fight. That was the one time we had a united movement that had was on message and debunked them and had our own messaging. We don't have that. So even a guy like Ted Cruz, like, you know, you're stuck. I'm not trying to defend him other than to say if you're looking for a guy that will be come along and, and not do that, you're mistaken. The stench is going to rub off on you. The preconceived notions, the pre-existing condition of the GOP is going to affect you, whether you're Ted Cruz, whether you're Ron DeSantis running for governor in Florida, whether you're Dave Bratt running in Virginia. Dave, Dave has always complained to me bitterly about that, how it's so hard to distinguish yourself. And I said, look, I warned you guys. I said the Freedom Caucus, I said you're going to lose some members because of stuff that you don't even agree with. Um, because you can't distinguish your brand. You need to, you know, I warned them months ago they should have seceded, but it is what it is. That's just a broader lesson I wanted you guys to, guys to learn. So it's not just that we're not working on getting in good guys, even the good guys we have. It becomes a self-fulfilling reality. If this is the messaging of the Republican Party, what are they supposed to do? It's a very big problem. 
I don't say it to be a shill for Cruz and say somehow it's better when he does this than when other people say stupid things about pre-existing conditions. But I'm just trying to tell you, even someone like a Cruz will get roped into that. Because what we're doing is not working as a people. This is my challenge to all my colleagues. If you want to win, win. But what does winning look like? If you want to, if you, let's, again, I, I still doubt at this point, although polling has gotten better, but I doubt they keep the house. But let's say they do. It's it's kind of close. I, I, I think that would be, you know, there's a lot of gloating you could do there, given the just pure horse race circumstances. But the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, What's to stop you from repeating the last two years over and over again, and even more so because then the presidential election starts right away? And it's all about that, all about the Democrat primary. When are you going to focus on what's important? And, And again, it's not just like, oh, we're not getting conservative outcomes. It's worse. It's that so called our guys are promoting and moving the ball forward, not just in policy, but rhetorically in an education wise, in the electorate. For the other side's most prized positions. Come on. Am I the only fool that still cares about Obamacare? I mean, I thought that was a pretty big issue. Shocking. Just truly shocking. And it's really worse than what I'm making it out to be. Much worse. Because we're getting played by these people, and our people don't even realize it. Lindsey Graham is out there promoting amnesty now. A border wall in exchange for um, in exchange for amnesty. And by the way, I have a long piece out today how Trump could shut down the border, you know, totally constitutionally without Congress. He has complete control over sovereignty. I've talked about this before. I meant to do today's show on it. But we'll save that for later in the week. And I also note how the border wall doesn't matter if you self-immolate as a nation. In other words, what's happening now is they're all coming. Not all, but a lot of them. And certainly if we built a wall, it would all be this way to the points of entry. Or you do have points of entry. Be, you know, There's between the points of entry. In case you have a wall there. But what about at the points of entry? See, the point of a wall, just so you know, and by the way, to be clear, I have been a passionate supporter of the wall and I've been dealing with it actively for my career. I've been dealing with it and advocating for for it for about 13 years. So before it was cool from these Johnny-come-lately nerdy conservative thumb-sucking pundits. But, and, 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 oh, and by the way, an AP reporter once read one of my articles and said it was the most compelling case he ever read for a border wall. But I will say this. See, a border wall is for a nation that is strong in spirit but has a weak frontier. It doesn't help a weak political system that willingly commits national suicide. So it's like, hey, you know, I want to prevent people from coming in uninterdicted. You know, they just sneak in and I can't catch them and then they're here and they, you know, commit crime or, you know, go in the public dole and their problems. But if they come to the points of entry and surrender themselves on purpose because we will bring them in, process them, release them, and done, then that's what they're all going to do, even if you build the wall. If you don't end the asylum, which you don't need Congress to do because existing law is not what's happening now, and anyway, the president has three or four authorities, both inherent and delegated. I have it all in the piece. I'm not going to review it. I'll link to it in show notes um, to shut it down and override asylum, certainly temporarily but really can do it indefinitely. 
if we don't end asylum and lower court tyranny and we agree and the other two branches agree that whatever a, a district judge says about our national security and our sovereignty is law, then, then I can't help you. Then we're done. Then a border wall won't help. Heck, they might get an injunction against the border wall. So anyway, I didn't mean to go off in that tangent, but Lindsey Graham is now pushing that. Lindsey Graham knows that the conservative media will let him get away with voting with Pelosi on all this stuff, provided that he gives them clickbaity crap and the own the libs memes. It's all about clicks. It's click-servitism to the nth degree. Nth degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just going to keep talking about Elizabeth Warren's uh, DNA test. Everyone has their hot take on that. I'm more worried about the fact that elected Republicans have less conservatism in their blood than the amount of Cherokee in Elizabeth Warren's blood. Okay? That's what I'm worried about, and that's what we should all be worried about. And if we're not worried about it now because we just want Republicans to win, fine. But when will you be worried about it? And then we have the courts continuing to do the thing. You know, I had a list of 13 times courts said that 13 policies, courts, um, you can Google it. Courts said Trump must continue Trump's, uh, Obama's policies. Some ob- lawless policies, discretionary policies. Unbelievable. Just again, Obama's student loan regulation, Trump can't get rid of it. Another, another district judge. Now, to his credit, although I think he, you know, he doesn't have enough support in the administration, and Trump hates him, so he's, his wings are clipped, Sessions is being really good. He lambasted a judge for the way it treated DOJ lawyers and for what they're doing. I want to get him back on the show. And I must say, he's really been on a, on a roll. I'm going to have an article coming out about what he's done to designate Hezbollah is a trans criminal organization in addition to terrorist organization, which is important, and then also designate drug cartels and MS-13 as TCOs and have a joint task force on all of this. You know how passionate I was a couple months ago. We had a series of shows on how Hezbollah, drugs, gangs, border migration, Middle Eastern immigrants coming through the border, the drug cartels, it all ties together, terror financing, and that's really the thing. That's what we need to do, cut off the terror financing and, you know, that's it. Just don't bring these people to your shores and don't have them fund terror on your shores, which is something that is so addressable under our own sovereignty, our own country. And then we don't have to worry about Yemen sovereignty and Afghanistan sovereignty and Syria and most of these other dumpster fires. The only way they hurt us is when we bring in their people. And then, ironically, they fund the wars overseas that we then send our troops overseas to fight. Let's keep their boots and money off our soil, and we won't have to put our boots on their just Civil War soil. But back to the courts. So, so we'll have that with Jeff Sessions' designation. Sessions is really on a roll. If you look at the discernible policy outcomes, he's doing everything he can, and it's all being ignored. And that's what bothers me. See, this is the difference between clickbait Clickbait is all Mueller. The policies just don't matter. And I could respect if someone says I'm not happy at the way Sessions handled handled that whole Rosenstein situation. I I, I could respect that, and I, and I partially agree. But you can't ignore the other stuff as if it doesn't matter. That is the criticism of the conservative media that we need. And Ben Sass is not helping our cause because I would argue Ben Sass is what got us into this problem where people were starving for, for something new, so they latched on to Trump, and then ironically it's just doped everyone up and you know we can't even get the opportunities that we could actualize from Trump because we're just so not focused. But one other thing I wanted to mention before we go, and – this is really important. Our buddy, Chief Justice John Roberts, gave a speech at University of Minnesota Law School, and he was, he was saying, no, don't worry. We're not going to let all the acrimony in politics get to the Supreme Court. It's going to be non-political. And he said the following. 
We speak for the Constitution. Our role is very clear. We are to interpret the Constitution, the laws of the United States, and to ensure that the political branch branches act within them. Folks, I mean, I mean, he's right in one sense. Meaning, if you're a king, then you're not political. There's nothing political. Kim Jong-un is not political. There's nothing political about his office in North Korea. But is that the system of government we adopted, a king? They are the sole and they police the other two branches. No, we all police our own branches and each other together and push back with the tools we have. We speak for the Constitution. Are you kidding me? For those of you who thought I might have been wrong about John Roberts, you know, this is a clear signal. Like I said, he's not going to take up these lower court cases and he's going to really. He's going to be a very big problem. So all this morphine for nothing. What a shame. What an utter, utter shame. As I've said before, I've quoted this many times. One of my favorite quotes from Justice Joseph uh, Story. Let us never forget that our constitutions of government are solemn instruments addressed to the common sense of the people and and designed to fix and perpetuate their rights and their liberties. They are not to be frittered away to please the demagogues of the day. They are not to be violated to gratify the ambition of political leaders. They are to speak in the same voice down forever. They are of no man's private interpretation. They are ordained by the will of the people and can be changed only by the sovereign command of the people. It's all the people together. The courts have a role. If a case comes before them, they have the right to issue an opinion. We all as a society, along with the 50 states and the other two branches of the federal government, have a right and indeed a duty to interpret the Constitution as we seem fit. It's lost on John Roberts. He's like, there's too much fighting. You idiot, if you're going to make the Supreme Court God and they're everything and immutable and whatever they say is final, albeit the one choice you have is is prospectively ahead of time determining who gets on that court. Well, that's the worst mix. You better believe that any dis- any Supreme Court vacancy is going to trigger a bloody fight. You're at fault for that. Your mentality of judicial supremacism. So that's John Roberts for you. Anyway, more on the invasion next time. But... um. Unlike Ben Sass, who thinks he's just beyond politics, he's independent. There's nothing independent thinking about him. He is the swamp times 100. Here at the conservative conscience, we truly are independent. One of the reasons we're independent is because we don't rely on any swampy money. We have our own advertisers that believe in our principles. One of them I want to introduce to you is Bamboo HR, rated by PC Magazine, as the top HR software in the business for small and medium businesses. Many of you, I know, I know this from surveys that I know in this audience, we have a lot of small business owners who, by the way, are really reeling from Obamacare. Send me your stories. Keep sending me your stories. And you have to deal with government paperwork. And you also got to deal with, I mean, just even in a perfect world, even if you don't have a single government regulation, you do have just all the HR flow and the um, hiring, personnel issues, process and personnel. You want to focus on policy. My business, it's public policy. Your business, it's, your, it's the product and service that you promote. Bamboo HR will allow you to put down those hats and do what you love and love what you do. They manage all your employee data, automate your countless tasks you have to deal with, e-signatures, onboarding paperwork, personnel reports, um, just anything from time off to uh, overtime, which is regulated by all the states, so you need them to tabulate that for you. Training um, sessions, company assets, all-in-one, easy-to-use interface, very intuitive, very easy to transition to. Transitioning is always a nightmare. I'm telling you, there is no better software that I've seen than Bamboo HR. So you can put down all those hats you don't like to wear and do the things you love. Here's the deal. They offer a seven-day guaranteed free trial to all listeners. But to my listeners, they offer a 14-day guarantee. 
So that way you could try it out. If you don't like it, fine, drop it like anything else, like we always offer. But if you do like it, I am telling you, this will change the way you do business. So for an extended free trial, go to bamboohr.com slash Daniel. Again, this exclusive extended free trial, go to bamboohr.com slash Daniel. This is a limited offer only available to our listeners. So you got to go to bamboohr.com forward slash Daniel. One more time, bamboohr.com forward slash Daniel, the number one HR software in the business. Thank you so much for listening. Till later this week, God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 